Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of our Dive Deeper. Um, if this is the first time you've been listening in the last couple of weeks, you may have noticed that we have upped the quality here a little bit of the Dive Deeper. Got that intro music. Wait for it at the end. There's some outro music. Um, it's not just a link on a Dropbox anymore. It's actually a podcast of sorts, you could say. Um, so excited about that, and it's a nice way for all of these to be in one place. So if you missed one, wanted to listen to another one, uh, they're all right there for you. So this episode is um, for our lesson on Unit 27, Lesson 4, which is the end of this volume. A lot of verbiage in the Gospel Project. Um, but what we're going to be talking about today is the Great Commission, and then we're going to discuss Jesus' Ascension. Um, some things specifically we're going to talk about in that is one, we're going to talk about this part where it says they worshiped him, but some doubted. We're going to discuss what that means and um, maybe think through that a little bit more. We're going to talk about the Great Commission and we're going to talk about its significance. And uh, we know it's really significant. So just want to dive into that. And then we're going to talk about the Ascension, just kind of the effect that has on the disciples. So we're going to be in Matthew 28, looking at verses 16 through 20. And then go ahead and just if you want to put a little bookmark in Acts 1, so we'll jump there um, for the last section of the cast. So I'm going to start out by reading Matthew 28, 16 through 20, and we'll dive right in. So starting in verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you spend any time at church uh, in your life, I guarantee you have heard this passage before, um, called the Great Commission, as I mentioned there in the intro. Um, this is one of the most sweeping commands that um, is given in all the scripture. Um, I, I put it kind of in the same category as when uh, they asked Jesus what the two greatest commandments are. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, just as those are applicable to everyone at all times, I believe the Great Commission falls in that category too. Um, so we'll talk a little more about that and getting a little ahead of myself. But um, so it starts out, these disciples, they go back to Galilee to a mountain which Jesus had directed them. Um, this is pretty significant. They, they're kind of going back to the starting point. They're going back to where things started. I uh, remember they did a lot of ministry in Galilee. They spent some time on some mountains in Galilee. Um, mountains in Matthew's reading um, in one commentary points out that um, these mountains are kind of a, a symbol of where people go to hear from God, hear about God. Um, so very appropriate given the circumstance. And it's just kind of a nice cap to Jesus' ministry that it kind of uh, ends, uh, his earthly ministry ends with uh, the place that it started, um, which is fairly interesting. So then we move into verse 17. And verse 17 says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So actually last week, in case you didn't hear last week, um, we talked about doubting Thomas. And so if you want to check out kind of a just a discussion of doubt in general and our, the role it plays in our lives and the role of others, you can look, listen to that. I'm not going to dive into that too much today. really want to kind of dive into what in the world this means. Um, okay, 
disciples, how much more do you need to see before you stop doubting Jesus? Why, why are we still doubting, right? That's kind of what we think when we look at this. Now, I'm reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. Um, other versions may actually translate this a little differently. Um, but I'm going to take a little dive into the Greek with you today, um, which I enjoy doing. I try not to do it too much, um, but it is really fun for me. So this word for doubted, um, it's a verb, and it comes from the Greek word distadzo. Now, this word is a little bit complicated because it can have the meaning to doubt, as we see uh, it's explicitly in the ESV, but it can also have the meaning of to be hesitant. So kind of, you know, in the same vein, but um, in English, those things are, are pretty different. Like for you to be hesitant about something and for you to doubt something, those are very different connotations. Um, so I've been re- doing some reading on it. I'm trying to figure out uh, what is maybe the best way to translate it. Um, there's a Greek dictionary that is kind of the standard in the uh, theological industry. And it literally has this verse in both of those categories to doubt and to be hesitant. So they kind of punted on that one and said, oh, we're not sure. We'll put it in both. You can decide. Um, but I've been doing some reading, read a couple commentaries, um, read an article about it. And uh, I think there's good reason here to translate this as, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were hesitant. Um, and I'll explain that a little bit more. To be clear here, there are going to be some uh, ideas out there that um, this is a larger group. So you've basically got your 11 disciples and they're worshiping him. And then there's some fringe followers who are doubting. I really don't see that here in this passage. Um, it's pretty explicit in verse 16. The 11 disciples went to Galilee. Um, and there's really no indication that there's any sort of, of group change here. So I think the most natural way to read this is to read it as he's talking about the, he's writing about the 11 disciples. So that'd be the original 12 minus Judas. And um, so when you hear that though, you're like, seriously, these disciples are doubting. But I really do think that being hesitant is probably a better, better word for it. One, we know that going forward, these disciples are going to be the people that carry Jesus name all over the world. Um, there's not like this sudden drop off of, and then four of the disciples were never heard from again. Like we, we have, if not biblical, we have often some historical or some traditional, um, knowledge about disciples going to different parts of the world. Um, this is not an instance where I think some of these disciples fall away. We don't have any indication of that either. Now the hesitancy, I think that there's some realistic, uh, understanding for us why they would be hesitant. So one is, and we've talked about this in most of the last casts, since the resurrection, things in Jesus appearing have been somewhat maybe hard for the disciples to understand. Um, last week, we talked about how he's appearing in rooms um, that were locked. He's kind of just like appearing, but then he's flesh and bone once he's in there. Um, he's He's been in some places like disguised, so that people don't recognize him. Um, the road to Emmaus with those disciples. Um, then there's a story um, just right off the beach in, I think it's John 21, where Jesus is like, oh, cast your nets on the other side. And that's when they realize it's Jesus. So they're honestly the disciples that really have to be on their toes when it comes to interacting with Jesus, because um, it's just a little different than um, it was before his crucifixion, his resurrection. So you have to think that there's probably a little bit of uncertainty um, about Maybe that it's him. Um, it does say when they saw him, um, 
maybe they saw him from a way off. Uh, we don't know, but um, I think there's some reason for them to be hesitant just in how their interactions have gone with Jesus so far. Not that Jesus is sowing seeds of doubt, but just that the disciples are having trouble understanding the glorified Jesus. They're used to the suffering servant Jesus who's on the way to the cross. They're not as familiar with this risen Jesus and his role um, and what has what has transpired since then. So that's one thing. Um, and then I think what we also have to consider, and I think in these narratives, when we see the disciples doing things that seem kind of silly, I really want to, I'm trying to do my best to kind of bring it, bring it back to reality a little bit for us, because again, we know the whole story. We have Genesis through Revelation. We have all the gospels. We've got all that info. We've got Paul's letters. We've got Peter's letters. We've got uh, additional letters from John. We've got a ton of information that um, we've probably heard in some form or another. Remember, this is happening to the disciples in real time. They're interacting with this as it's happening. Um, So I think we've got to give them some slack. Um, We also, it's a good opportunity to remember, like the disciples weren't perfect. Um, And just like the disciples weren't perfect, we aren't perfect. Um, But one of the most amazing things about how God works is that he uses imperfect people um, to spread his name. And sometimes he even uses those imperfections specifically, uh, for his glory, which is just amazing that he can turn, uh, the mess we make into something beautiful. But let's remember that about the disciples. They're not perfect. We're not perfect. Um, we can't have, we don't have that expectation of ourselves. We shouldn't have it of them either that they were understanding everything as was happening. So, um, one way that we can kind of bring them back down to earth and remind ourselves that these were, um, Jewish men for the most part, um, Deeply, deeply rooted in Judaism is this monotheism. Um, when they were living in Canaan, um, really, really throughout all their history, actually, from the very time that Israel was a nation, they're surrounded by pagan nations that are worshiping many gods. One of the things that really sets apart Israel um, and Judaism is that they are monotheistic. They worship one God, Um you may have heard, I think I've talked about it in another one, um, this passage in Deuteronomy, they call the Shema. So Shema is just the Hebrew word for hear. Um, and that's Deuteronomy 6.4, which says, it starts off, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, and so that's like, if you are a Jew, if you know anything, you know the Shema. You know that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So now here we are. Jesus is risen. Um, he's, he's the son of God. Um, he's obviously more than just a man. He's risen from the dead. Um, and now they're, they're worshiping him and, and rightly so they should be worshiping him, but they don't, but they're probably hesitant. You can understand the hesitancy if all your life and all of your ancestors lives, um, you've been taught hero Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Um, you know, that Jesus talked about the father. So they're aware of that relationship. Um, worshiping Jesus as God is something that I think is hard for them at this point. Um, this is something that will really develop more and more over their lives where they understand more and more what it means for Jesus to be fully man and fully God. Um, it took the church hundreds of years to really nail down what they, what they thought about who Jesus was. Um, so for them to worship this person that they'd followed and had for, they'd largely understood him as only a man. Um, who was anointed of God. He was the Messiah, but they'd seen him do human things except for those miracles. Um, But now that he's risen from the dead, it's kind of a game changer. So um, 
there's reason for them to be hesitant to worship him, even though they are doing the right thing. They may not be 100% certain that it is. And when we see Jesus in uh, verse 18 say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, that in some ways hopefully serves as a um, comfort to them to know that they are they are putting their worship in the right place. Um, but yeah, so I think when we read that, um, says they worshiped him, but some doubted. Um, a, I think we are just talking about the 11 disciples, not some larger group. And B, um, I don't think we're talking about anyone falling away from the faith, not believing in Jesus, but really just that some of them were having a, a hard time with how to reconcile their previous lives with um, who Jesus is at this time. So they may have really just been confused if they should be worshiping him, wanting to honor God, wondering should I worship this Jesus um, and trying to understand that. So hope that makes some sense. Um, again, that Greek word distazo doesn't help us a ton. It's got a little bit of a dual meaning, meaning but um, just based on some of the reading I've done, uh, a commentary that I read uh, on Matthew by R.T. France, has been very helpful. He references an article by a guy named I.P. Ellis. Um, leads me to believe that is probably the best interpretation. So we will go ahead and move on from that and move into the Great Commission. So that's verses, uh, especially 19 to 20, encompassing verse 18 as well. So this is a huge turning point um, for a couple of reasons. One, um, you get this um, commissioning. That's why we call it the Great Commission. Um, Jesus is commissioning the disciples um, but I think especially what we see here that's really unique is he tells them, go and make disciples of all nations. So in Jesus' ministry on earth, um, there's this one interaction um, with a, a Gentile woman where Jesus proclaims her, my, my priority is the, the lost sheep of Israel. Um, and, from, and even just looking at his ministry, there are times when he interacts with Gentiles. It's fairly rare in his ministry. Um, we know later on in Acts that Paul will be designated the apostle to the Gentiles. So um, Jesus' primary mission was to um, the people of Israel. Uh, and clearly uh, a ministry of the people of Israel had in mind ministry to others as well. Um, when the nation of Israel was established, their, their, really their purpose was to be a God-honoring nation um, that was served as a light um, to to other nations and proclaimed who God was by their obedience to him. Didn't work out that great. And honestly, Jesus' mission, if the religious leaders had uh, accepted him, then, you know, things may have gone a little differently. Obviously, God was omniscient, knows how it's going to go beforehand. But um, he, his mission was to go and redeem the lost sheep of Israel, to bring them back to worship of Yahweh that was um, true in their hearts, not just in uh, legalism. So that's kind of been the story for Jesus and his disciples. And remember, pretty much his disciples are pretty much 100% Jewish. Um, there's some guys that kind of uh, lived a little bit of a dual lifestyle. You think of Matthew, he was a tax collector. Um, he kind of lived a little bit in both worlds. Um, you can kind of be, you kind of be ostracized for being a tax collector from the Jewish community. So he lived a little bit in both worlds, but this is a, this is a Jewish group. Um, this is not a, a mixed group. So they had thought, you know, this is, this is a mission that's for Israel. But Jesus is really clear. He tells them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So it's turning worldwide. Jesus makes it official. This mission is worldwide. I'm asking you, you 11 Jewish men here, I'm asking you to take it to the Gentiles as well, not just to the lost sheep of Israel. 
So um, that still includes Israel. Israel is a nation at this time and is now. Um, so it's not that he's not saying, okay, now go to everybody else and exclude Israel. It's more everybody, it's time for everybody to hear. It's time for everybody to know um, who I am, what I've done, what I've done for the whole world so that people can place faith in him. So this is really big. Um, and if we are his disciples, we have to remember that this is a command for us too. So these are his 11 disciples. Um, they are obviously a special group in a lot of ways. They're, they lived with Jesus. They saw all these events. Um, but he tells them, go make disciples of all nations. So it's not like make a different, distinct subset of disciples. Um, the, the goal is that it's a, a multiplying discipleship, um, that these disciples will go and make other disciples that won't be exactly like them, um, but that will do the same things, that they will um, that they will love God, they'll love others, they'll share the gospel, um, they'll make Jesus known throughout the nation. So if we want to consider ourselves disciples, and if we are truly, if we do truly place our faith in Jesus, then we are his disciples. Um, we have to take this message, we have to take it seriously. Um, there are just a, a multitude of ways that we can live out the Great Commission. Um, one of the things we say here at Solid Rock with regularity is living the mission in our everyday lives. Yes, that's right. Everyday lives. So that's one way that we uh, do the Great Commission is that we live it out in our everyday lives, that we're we're ready and willing to share about what Jesus has done um, to the people around us, people we work with, people we interact with um, regularly, our friends who aren't believers, our families. Um, we should be ready to do that. Um, and that's just a normal part uh, should be a normal part, I should say, of uh, a faithful Christian life. And obviously there are, you know, it's not always easy. Not every moment's the right moment to, we're not all going to pick a corner and be street preachers, but um, part of the Great Commission is being ready to share um, so we can make disciples of all nations. Um, and, and other ways that we need to be uh, considering as well is not just having an eye on our sphere, uh, but having an eye on other people's spheres as well. So that may mean uh, international. Um, that may mean just um, maybe a different city, different state. Um, but I think when you say, when Jesus says make disciples of all nations, if everybody's just concerned with um, the people that are right around them, there are some nations that won't hear about him from a human being. Um, we have to think a little bit wider. Um, we have to be willing to consider what God may be calling us to, um, to the nations specifically to, to go or to give to, um, international missions. Um, not every person is called to go overseas and live for X number of years and share the gospel full time. Um, but I think we are all called to participate in international missions in some way. So that could mean going, that could mean, um, giving to the mission fund, uh, that could mean supporting a missionary directly, that could mean taking time every week to pray for people that are out in the mission field, to pray for those who don't believe. Um, but I think we we can't be fully following what God would have us do if we don't at least have an eye toward other nations. Um, it can be really easy for us to stay focused on ourselves, stay focused on those around us, stay focused on our nation. Obviously, our nation, just like every other nation, has a, a lot of spiritual needs. Um, but it's important. It really widens our scope. And it really, I think, widens our understanding of who God is when we also have an eye for international missions, because the church looks different in other countries. And there is a lot to be learned uh, from other churches um, in other countries, how they operate, 
Um, you think about churches in China that meet underground and just the faithfulness that they uh, display in the midst of persecution. Like there's so much we can learn there and there's so much we can do as well um, to support them, whether it be financially through prayer or even by going. Um, I've actually been to China on a mission trip before, spent about six weeks there. And uh, one amazing thing there is that people will want to talk to you just because you're an American. Um, not every place is like that, uh, for sure. But in China, it's kind of like that. And it's a really neat opportunity for you to get to share uh, the gospel because people want to talk to you just because they know you're different. Um, so that's just an example. But really what I want to hone in here with the Great Commission is this has got this needs to be something that's on the forefront of our minds. Um, and I think what um, is really fruitful is just to be in regular prayer about what is what is God calling me to do to further the Great Commission? Um, how is he calling me to live the mission in my everyday life? How is he asking me to participate in what he's doing in the rest of the world? Um, and everybody's story is different. We shouldn't look on anyone with judgment because they um, give less than us to missions or have been on less mission trips. None of that. Like, that's not necessary. But um, it's important that we ask ourselves, is, is God calling me to invest in the Great Commission in a way that's outside my comfort zone, whether that be prayer, finances, or even going? Would we, would you be willing to go to another nation if God was calling you to? Would I be willing to do that? We need to ask ourselves those questions because um, the nature of the kingdom is that um, when we feel weak, when we feel powerless, when we feel scared, um, that's when the opportunity for the gospel to shine is greatest and we get to see God's power in that. So something that we need to be uh, have on the forefront of our mind as Great Commission. And I do just want to touch briefly on um, Jesus tells his disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's that Trinity that we uh, that we know, uh, what we think we know. We're It's very hard to understand, explain all of that. So I'm not saying we know it perfectly, but um, something that's a major tenet of our faith. Um, and we see that this formula, and we still use it today when we baptize, um, which is just a, a really cool thread you get to see throughout Christian history. The history of the church is that people have been baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, we have that in common with the saints throughout uh, all centuries, um, which is really neat. Um, but we see just that Jesus recognizing that um, this baptism comes in the name of the Father. That seems a little, maybe a little more obvious to them, but and of the Son, so he's saying of himself and of the Holy Spirit. Um, that really shows some equality there um, for him to say, baptize people in all three of these names. Um, and that's, you're going to see the disciples, again, kind of like they don't fully understand Jesus' deity, maybe. They may not fully understand the Trinity at this point either. And so this is kind of pointing them in the right direction. Um, Jesus keeps saying he's going to send the Holy Spirit. I can pretty much guarantee you the disciples have no clue what that means or what that's going to do for them. Um, we'll talk about that actually in the next section. Um, but just a powerful statement of uh, the Godhead, really, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's one of our most sacred texts in terms of how we understand the Trinity, that these three are equal because this baptism um, is in the name of all three. And we recognize the deity of all three in the Godhead. So um, great commission. Awesome passage, lot to learn from it. Um, and something that really should guide not only our individual lives, but our churches and our um, church groups, you know, conventions, everybody should be focused on how do we fulfill this great commission the best that we can.
All right, so I hope you put your bookmark in Acts 1 because we are going to move right over there. So we are going to uh, be in Acts 1 starting uh, with verse 4. So we're going to talk about here the ascension. So um, Acts is a book written by Luke, same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he writes to a guy he calls Theophilus. Uh, Theophilus is basically a compound word that means lover of God. So if it's a real person, if it was like a, a pen name for safety that he sent this person, or if he was meant it for even wider distribution, he's saying any lover of God, um, we don't necessarily know, but um, that's kind of how he's writing. And Luke was friends with some of the disciples and uh, a doctor, well-educated. And so he's writing this kind of about what happened in the early church. Um, so starting, I'll start reading in verse four about Jesus' ascension. It says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So, um, Jesus is again telling them, he's been telling them for a little while, hey, the Holy Spirit's coming. Uh, he's telling them, wait, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Um, this really goes back to the Great Commission in terms of uh, the Great Commission doesn't happen without the power of the Spirit in us. We on, on our own are not at all capable to enact this great mission that we've been given um, to spread his name to the ends of the earth. We don't have that kind of power, the Holy Spirit in us. Absolutely. And uh, we stumble along with what the Holy Spirit's doing. Um, but he tells them to wait um, for the Holy Spirit um, and then that the Holy Spirit is going to equip them um, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Kind of a, another way of stating almost that um, to all nations uh, that was in the Great Commission. And then um, a moment that would have been, man, it's hard to hard to imagine what they must have been feeling as they see this Jesus, this person they've known for years. Man, they've had a lot of ups and downs. They've gotten to rejoice them. They've seen the miracles he've done. They had to live through his death, the uncertainty after his death, the joy of his, and also uncertainty after his resurrection. Um, and now they're seeing him taken into the clouds and kind of knowing like, this is not, this is our last time seeing him. This is our last time seeing him for a while. Um, until we get to be with him in paradise. Um, you can imagine the fear they must have been feeling. Um, this, is, this is tough. Again, he says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. They don't know what that means. They don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do in them. Um, they, they're probably scared. Their, their leader is being taken uh, into heaven. And he told them it's better that he goes and that they have the Spirit. And I'm sure they believed him, but it'd be hard to feel that way right that instant. You can imagine how emotional that was. Um, and so we also see right before, before he ascended, um, we get that little question in verse six, very um, disciple-esque, uh, kind of makes me think just the nature of this question that Peter was right around the 
nucleus of that. Uh, it says when they come together, they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? But they're kind of still holding on a little bit to that human idea of the Messiah. The Messiah was somebody that um, the 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 people of Israel didn't fully understand what he was going to do. They definitely didn't expect what Jesus did um, to be the fulfillment of this prophecy about the Messiah. So they're just making sure, hey, before you go, we just wanted to check. Um, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel from Roman oppression or is that not going to happen? And Jesus deflects a little bit and says, hey, honestly, that's just for the father to know by his own authority. Um, that's kind of a soft no that he's given them. I mean, I, we know it was a no. And so uh, it seems like he's kind of telling them no there. Um, but he tells them. Okay, no, it's not going to happen exactly like you think, probably. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. You'll be my witnesses. And they're like, yeah, we might rather have the kingdom. That sounds kind of nice. Um, but regardless, they uh, we do see their, their faithfulness in their lives as the Holy Spirit does empower them. Um, and so he goes into heaven. Um, and the, the angels, the uh, two men in white robes, we can probably call them angels, like, why are you standing here looking into the sky? It's like, well, duh, we're watching Jesus. Um, but they, the men say that um, he will come back in the same way that we saw him go into heaven. So they are um, given this picture of what it will look like in Jesus' return. So um, they're wanting to know when the kingdom will be restored to Israel. Not right that instant. Um, and then they're watching Jesus go. Um Sure, they're they're sad, emotional, um, and they're looking into heaven, and they get the the confidence to know that Jesus is going to return. It's going to be in the in the same way um, that he went into heaven. And uh, I talked about this last week too. Talked a little bit more about just kind of the relationship between faith and hope. That uh, faith has as a necessity uh, an element of hope because we look forward to a day when we won't have faith, but we will have sight um, when all things are made new and Jesus returns or when we see him uh, face to face uh, when this life is over. Um, but that's this same hope that um, was given to the disciples is the same hope that we have now. We look forward eagerly to the day when Jesus returns in the same way that he went into heaven. Um, and really we look forward to that because we get to be with him forever and we get to just enjoy who he is, what he's done, uh, our relationship with him, fully restored with all of the Godhead, with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, and that's what we look forward to. That's the object of our faith. Um, and that that's what we hope for. That's really our only hope is that Jesus does come back and that we get to be with him forever. So just like the disciples hated to see him go, they look forward to the day that he returned. So we look forward to the day that he'll return um, with um, just a great, great hope um, that we can be confident will be realized. So that is all for today. Thank you for taking some time to listen. I hope it was helpful to discuss um, just about the disciples and um, just kind of knowing their situation with the risen Jesus, discussing the Great Commission, and then also talking about um, just the role of uh, hope a little bit, the this ascension, what it meant, um, and what the disciples would go on to do and in fulfilling that great commission of which we are now uh, beneficiaries of the work that started then. So hope you have a great week. I'll be praying for you as you teach this lesson to the kiddos this week. And uh, we know that God will receive the glory.